we've learned anything from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, is that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in healthcare-related fields to keep you a beat ahead. Can bad parents be better than foster care? Welcome to America Out Loud Pulse. I'm Dr. Marilyn Singleton. Children are our most precious gifts, and we appreciate that the state and federal government recognizes the importance of keeping them safe. In 1974, Congress passed the Child Abuse Prevention and Treatment Act, they call it CAPTA, The act gives federal dollars to the states for the prevention, investigation, and prosecution of child, they call it maltreatment, and we commonly call that abuse and neglect. They define maltreatment as serious harm caused to children by parents or primary caregivers, such as extended family members or babysitters. Child maltreatment can also include harm that a caregiver allows to happen to a child or does not prevent from happening. Now, although any concerned person, even anonymously, can report suspicions of child abuse or neglect, healthcare professionals are mandated by state law to report their suspicions. And examples of child abuse are physical abuse, And that doesn't include spanking, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, abandonment, and parental substance abuse. Now, this is kind of interesting because on this show, we talk a lot about informed consent and confidentiality and mandatory reporting statutes also can specify when a communication is privileged. And these privileged communications means that there's By statute, you can maintain confidential communications between professionals and patients or for priests, their congregants. Most states don't allow this privilege to be grounds for failing to report. Now, Child Protective Services, CPS, as everybody knows it, is legally obligated to investigate every report, even false ones. And many times children are sent to foster care during the investigation. But foster care might not be the best solutions for many reasons. One, which certainly interests me as a healthcare professional, is that the Government Accountability Office, the GAO, did an audit of foster care records in five representative states and found that 39%, say it again, 39% of foster children are being prescribed psychiatric medications in contrast to 10% of non-foster children. Now, even though the percentage of children who receive five or more psychiatric drugs all at the same time are low, foster children are on average 25 times more likely than non-foster children to be prescribed five or more medications. This is stunning. Foster children were over nine times more likely than non-foster children 
to be prescribed drugs in doses exceeding FDA-approved maximum levels. Certainly, children entering foster care are likely to have more emotional and behavioral issues than non-foster children. But drugs, it looks to me like it's just an efficient way to quiet the kids down and not send them to behavior therapy. Well, my guest will discuss the whole CPS process and how targets of investigation can protect their children from the long arms of the government. Jay Rosenthal is a child welfare consultant. He earned his bachelor's degree in psychology from the Derner Institute of Advanced Psychological Studies at Adelphi University. He has conducted child welfare investigations himself and supportive housing case management for adults and families with psychiatric disorders who previously were homeless. His experience as a former CPS investigator led Mr. Rosenthal to form CPS Protect Consulting Services. He helps families prepare for and navigate through the CPS investigations. And this helps these families to to preserve their rights and protect them from any adverse situations that may occur, even in the courts. Welcome to the show, Mr. Rosenthal. Thank you, Marilyn. That was quite the introduction. <laughs> well, there's so much in this in this whole thing, and of course, as healthcare people, um, this mandatory reporting is something that uh, we hate to see sometimes. But you've got to do it. You don't want to miss a problem. But then it seems like these uh, reports go somewhere. We don't necessarily ever get the follow-up. You don't know whether it was a mistake or whether the kid really fell and tripped over the bathtub. All the stories you hear, some are true, some aren't true. And it's very hard to discern, especially for people uh, non-pediatrician such as myself, but you happen to uh, see a child and and um, you've got to do what you have to do. So that's the situation we're in. Can just to let folks know, can you tell us some of the general signs that people might look for to see whether a child has been abused? Well, that's assuming that the uh, that the report is actually being made in good faith. Unfortunately, there are some people who use the uh, child abuse and neglect reporting system for less than ideal purposes. Uh, you know, sometimes with custody disputes, uh, otherwise, uh, there are a wide variety of signs of abuse and neglect. From the medical perspective, doctors are typically looking for, you know, any suspicious marks or bruises that could have a, where abuse could be a potential explanation. Uh, They could be looking for, uh, this is particularly common in radiology, uh, looking for unexplainable signs of damage to organs, the 
brain, uh, the lungs, uh, you know, some of the bones that might be a sign of potential abuse. Uh, that's from the medical perspective. But because the minimum standard of care has no real objective definition, it's always a moving target. Uh, for example, when it comes to appropriate supervision, well, supervision, the, you know, as to what's appropriate, that depends on the age, that depends on the developmental stage that the child is in, uh, that depends on their maturity level. Uh, and even when you take all of that into account, sometimes things do go wrong. And while that's not necessarily negligent, it could be, depending on depending on who's defining the terms, depending on whose rules you're playing by. Your definition of what may, you know what makes a good parent in a good home and what makes a safe child may not be identical to the position CPS takes. And you talk a lot about mandated reporters. Uh, I find that when I talk about the child welfare system, uh, there's a line that I use more and more and more. And it's the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Mandated reporters in some states are anybody and everybody who has, you know, who believes in good faith that a child might be abused or neglected. But in all states, mandated reporters at least constitute professionals working in certain fields that are most likely to come into contact with children. So you're talking healthcare professionals, you're talking school staff, you're talking childcare staff, you're talking law enforcement. Uh, those are the those are usually the biggest four. Uh, education professionals are actually, they make more than one in five reports in the U.S. And one thing that, one thing that all these professionals have in common is either they carry licenses individually granted by the state or they, they work for uh, a place that is licensed to provide those services. They work for a business that, ha that has that license, and if they fail to report a legitimate case of abuse or neglect, that license could be revoked. And this creates a culture of liability. For better or for worse, human nature dictates that self-preservation is a priority. We do look out for our, uh, for our own interests first, and our own interests may mean ourselves, our family before we look out for others. We just do. So if you're, you know, if there's a situation where, you know what, it might be child abuse or neglect. There is no risk to me if I just make the report in good faith, but, you know, whether I'm right or wrong. But if I don't make the report and I'm wrong, then I could lose my license. I could lose my job. I could lose my livelihood. I could go to prison. So better to, so the, so the idea, unfortunately, with credentialed mandated reporters is 
when in doubt, just report it. Because if you don't and you're wrong, then you're going to pay dearly later. Well, also, you know, you say that so, so many things feed into what's happening in the healthcare system with these seven minute visits. There was a time and some doctor practices still do like in direct primary care practices and some of these cash only practices where the doctor spends an hour with the patient. If you're in one of these big healthcare systems where you're lucky if you get seven minutes with the doctor that there's no time to delve into it anyway with the mother, the child, the patient. And so you have to take the route of reporting it because obviously you don't want cases like these ones we hear about on TV where um, the sheriff goes out there and misses the girl who's in the back shed for 10 years and all this sort of thing. You don't want that. You don't want to miss a case. But on the other hand, to me, it seems like we should be talking to the patient. And it seems like one more thing in what's happening in medicine with this check the box way to see patients. Well, that's that's absolutely true. And when you don't do a do your due diligence in your investigation, uh, the child can lose. And. A lot of people may have heard the term shaken baby syndrome and that it's been disproven and all this other stuff. Well, they don't use the term shaken baby syndrome anymore. Uh, They use a new term. They rebranded it as uh, abusive head trauma. And are there a limited number of cases where, yes, if you uh, obviously if you bash your child's head against the wall repeatedly, it could cause a hemorrhage. You know, common sense says eventually if you bash a child's skull in, eventually it's going to bleed and there's going to be signs of damage. But abusive head trauma, the way that the criteria that are actually used actually means that there are a number of conditions that can also mimic those exact symptoms on a brain scan. Uh, you know, I mean, you could go down the list. There are diseases like glutaric aciduria type 1, uh, Manx disease, the various forms of neurofibromatosis, Marfan syndrome, you know, CLBC deficiency. There are a lot of these. Then you've got mimics of bruising, uh, hemophilia, von Willebrand disease. It's to, to even call von Willebrand disease rare. You know, it's not really, yes, there's less than 200,000 cases, but it's not extremely difficult to find someone who has a diagnosis of von Willebrand disease in the U.S. Uh, You've got disorders like uh, factor 13 deficiency, too. Uh, When it comes to bone fractures, osteogenesis imperfecta is a big one that's a medical mimic of child abuse. Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Uh, Ricketts has a little more controversy tied to it because you can't just say that everyone who breaks bones with no other explanation except low vitamin D is free and clear. But a lot of people don't do these due, uh, their due diligence. You know, a number of these conditions I've just listed, uh, 
many parent, you know, many medical professionals may not have seen any of these conditions or even heard of them since at least medical school. So there are cases. I remember there was a, a actually Law and Order Special Victims Unit did an episode, you know, on a mistaken case of medical, you know, of a medical mimic of child abuse where the child was taken away. This did actually enter, you know, enter the Hollywood culture here. Uh, so while it's not necessarily the majority of cases, it is substantial enough that the culture is picked up on it. And that's important to note. Not only that, where the parents really, uh, one of the places parents really get stuck is when it comes to childbirth, because CPS doesn't have jurisdiction until your child is born. Uh, but in many cases, hospitals will do a toxicology screen, a tox screen, a drug test on a newborn. And while there are some people who, yes, do smoke pot while pregnant, do, you know, smoke crack while pregnant, I've never heard a doctor say that it's advisable to do that. Maybe there is a doctor somewhere that does, but I've never heard it. Um, but there are a lot of over-the-counter and prescription medications that can, in fact, cause false positives, uh, false positive drug screens, either on the parent or, you know, even on the, uh, you know, on the newborn infant if it passed uh, through the placenta. And in these cases of newborn positive drug screens, these are typically automatic removals, and when possible, they're done at the hospital. Wow. And you know, on, on that note, we'll go into the process of what happens, because somehow it's just stunning to me to hear automatic removal. Uh, when we come back after the break, we'll kind of go into more of the steps of what happens, and you as a previous investigator certainly know those and uh, a little more about this whole CPS process. For right now, I just have to talk about my old medication, Cofix RX. This is something I've talked about before on the show, and this is a nasal spray that is mainly povidone, iodine, and xylitol. And study just came out that showed that xylitol can stop the SARS virus in its tracks. And that's the whole point of Cofix RX. Most of these viruses that make us sick come through our nose. And they sit there for certainly at least 24 hours, if not more, before heading down farther down the respiratory tract. And if we can stop this, nip it in the bud, then maybe you won't get sick at all, or maybe you will have a milder case. And this isn't just COVID, these viruses and other germs, and it's flu season. Uh, so we have to look out for ourselves and one of the things I have to say I love about Cofix RX was invented in the USA and it's manufactured in the USA. You can find it at drugstores and health food stores or right on our page. There's a little Cofix RX button. Click that on, read more about it, 
and um, even buy some through the website. If you're like me, you'd like life to return to some kind of normal. You're burned out on all the fear-mongering, but deep down you try and minimize viral exposure and your risk of getting sick. You've heard it talked about time and again by respected medical professionals. Use a pulvinone iodine nasal solution. I don't need to tell you just how powerful a nasal cleansing formula with xylitol, pulvinone iodine, and vitamin D3 for immune support could be. In fact, my attorney told me not to tell you. Google it and find out for yourself. Now, get yourself a bottle of American-made Cofix RX nasal solution. Let's get out and live again. CofixRx.com. That's C-O-F-I-X-R-X.com. Use coupon code out loud and get 20% off. For 40 years, alarmists have been warning of a climate catastrophe, yet none of their dire predictions have come true. Temperatures have not soared, sea level rise has not been unusual, and extreme weather events have not increased in either frequency or intensity. In short, there is no climate emergency. For 15 years, the International Climate Science Coalition has led the call for climate realism and a Made in America climate plan a plan based on real science that responds to the real-world needs of Americans, supports economic growth, and strengthens our essential infrastructure, a plan that protects the environment and ensures that Americans can enjoy the blessings of clean air, clean land, and clean water for generations to come. It's time to put ideology and pseudoscience aside. It's time for a sensible climate plan. For more information or to donate, visit our website, icsc-climate.com So we're coming back to discussing this uh, CPS taking the child right out of the the mother's arms in the hospital and uh, so Mr. Rosenthal tell us a little more about this process, how they can do it, does CPS get in trouble if they're wrong, all these sorts of things. These are things that people need to know. Absolutely. So to go back to what I had said about mandated reporters and the fear of liability, the same actually exists for CPS on the ground because there have been multiple court cases that have where, where the courts have basically ruled that CPS investigators uh, have qualified immunity for investigations and in some cases absolute immunity for testimony because in theory you can you know when you're making these quick decisions you can only do it with the information you have at the time in practice. It, it doesn't go as it should. Again, this is another classic case of the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And so what ends up what ends up happening is if they don't remove and a child dies, you'll typically see some outrage. It might be a local news story. Nowadays, CPS issues are getting national attention uh but if so so if a cps if a cps investigator fails to act and they're 
it turns out they're wrong and that child dies or that child gets injured, at minimum, they're losing their job. Uh, they could be prosecuted. They're losing their livelihood. There's no question. Uh, CPS will try and sacrifice the lowest common denominator it can find uh, and then just continue on doing what it was doing. Now, CPS, because custodial abuse and neglect were decriminalized in the 1960s, it's illegal but not criminal. Some aspects of child abuse, like child sexual abuse and child physical abuse, also have their parallel uh, criminal uh, criminal aspects, but custodial abuse and neglect specifically is not criminal, but it is illegal. So CPS has its own unilateral authority to make a determination. So when they remove a child and the court remands the child to their custody, the court is not the time that you spend in court is not determining whether or not you're guilty. It is solely for the court to determine whether or not your child, your child or children are going to be safe enough returning to you, whether CPS's safety concerns have been addressed. And unfortunately, depending on the state, the family and juvenile courts, what I, what I collectively call the remedial courts, uh, they're, they're backlogged. So it is very hard to get, get anything done in a timely manner, even under the best conditions. And the Adoption and Safe Families Act puts a clock. Uh, this is a federal law. It puts a clock on the time that a child can, st- can spend in foster care before the state has to issue a termination of parental rights order or a TPR order for short or, or pursue it rather. And that's if they've spent 15 of the last 22 months in foster care. But what if they do the removal, they have the initial hearing and they give you your case plan and what you need to do. And the next available court date is five months later. And then all of a sudden they, you complete everything and they find, Oh wait, well, this isn't sufficient. And no, we can't have another court date. We don't have another available date for another six months. Well, then guess what? You're at almost a year already. Mm-hmm. And so that time goes very quick. Now, CPS, a lot of families cannot pivot on a dime and just put down $3,000, $5,000, on a family court attorney to – on a private family court attorney to fight this and the court appointed attorneys, they have their script and their 80 some odd other cases. And so they don't have time to go over this with you. They don't remember what your case is about. So it's not really great defense. What's being provided is the bare minimum. And so it's really skewed. And on top of that, CPS investigations in general, they are, you're not entitled to counsel. There is no other assistance that you have, and you're supposed to somehow thread the needle. Remember that I said terms like abuse, neglect, and minimum standard of care are not objectively defined. So 
because of the skewed liability that CPS has, well, guess what? The, the standard that parents are held to is almost perfection mm-hmm. because, well, God forbid CPS looks bad for not doing anything. Then we get into the whole deal of, well, foster care and how children actually adjust to it. Well, let me stop you there now. While all this is going on, you've given, you know, the five months and then maybe it morphs into a year. Can the parents see the child during this time? If the court has ordered visitation, then yes. And the, you know, the parents, you know, it may be virtual. It depends on where they're placed. It depends on how often they can do it. If CPS is the one uh, coordinating the visits, then, well, unfortunately, they have very complicated, they very complicated schedules, new reports come in. Uh, if it's a private foster care case management agency, well, they can cancel on a whim if something happens. Uh, it's typically at a neutral location and supervised. Uh, sometimes uh, collaterals, extended family and friends who are cleared can actually do the supervision. But that really depends on whether CPS is going to take the time to clear them, whether they really want to do that uh etc uh so there are plenty of examples where parents are delayed in the time that it takes for cps to initiate this uh, initiate visitation uh sometimes uh the visitation is not nearly enough but overall the the damage is done there even you know even if you can't keep to once a week for an hour to do that and you can't actually you know and you say well you need to you know mom you need to keep a job because you know you need to have a stable income but if you can't do it in the middle of the in the middle of your shift if you can't do that uh, do that visit then sorry you can't see your child and if you don't see your child well you know you must not care enough uh and some families Mm -hmm. do get caught in that kind of loop so yes in most cases you're going to be able to see your child but it's going to be heavily restricted you know, uh, when it comes to the conditions, uh, there is no doubt, uh, and the research is very clear on this, uh, not that you really need it, common sense would say it, but any removal, even one in the small minority of cases where you really do have someone who does something terrible to children, it is always traumatic, always, uh, you know, there were cases where there was legitimate severe abuse and the child didn't want to leave because the enemy you do know is less frightening than the friend that you don't. Well, that certainly makes sense. I think about, I I just close my eyes and try to imagine, well, one, I try to imagine having your baby taken away out of the hospital. And then two, I try to imagine as a child, if somebody came to me and said, we're going to take you away from your parents for a while. And you're thinking, why, why love my mommy and daddy. And then you go off to strangers. And I'm sure we'll discuss who some of these strangers are. Um, And that's supposed to be a better situation. It's, this is such 
a tough issue. It's one of the reasons I wanted to have a show about it, because as you point out, you don't want to miss horrible abuse where a child is being harmed mentally or physically. But on the other hand, you don't want to remove a child and subject him to this psychological trauma for alternative parenting. Well, you've basically, you've asked the fundamental question that nobody wants to answer, which is how much, you know, what, what rights as a parent are you willing to give up to eliminate any consequences from child abuse or neglect? You know, any injuries, any deaths from child abuse or neglect. And if you're not willing to give, and if you're not willing to give up your rights, how much abuse or neglect in the world are you okay with living with in the world? And that's a question that nobody wants to answer. But the fact of the matter is, in a free society where people have free will, they have the freedom to do good and the freedom to do evil. While they don't have freedom from consequences, if they have free will, they can choose to do good or evil. We hope as a society that they choose to do good. But unfortunately, People have different ideas of what's good, and some people do choose the evil route. So when parental rights and CPS's authority are in direct opposition, which they are, the more authority you give to one, the less authority the other has. Mm. Nobody wants to find that balance because... Child abuse and neglect is ugly. It's terrible. It's for those of us that would rather look through the world, uh, look at the world through rose colored glasses. Child abuse and neglect is icky, yucky, terrible. I don't want to think about it. Find me a unicorn. It's uh, so this is the conversation that we're not having. And as a result, we keep saying, we want our parental rights because we believe we're good parents, but we also want zero child abuse or neglect in the world. And when you give that message to the government, and CPS is usually housed in the executive branch at the state level, uh, in Los Angeles and New York City, there are municipal agencies. But the, the point is, if you're asking politicians to, you know, if you're saying you can't you have to be hands-on and you have to be right every time. And if you're not, we're going to hold you accountable. But also if you go after my rights, I'm going to be mad. You can't hold both positions at the same time and accept, expect it to turn out well. It, 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 I know it's harsh, but this is the truth. And unless we decide what we're okay with and proceed accordingly, this is only going to get worse. Because everybody is going to focus on self-preservation and those in authority may not be in agreement with you. Well, it seems like, you know, how they have the default uh, position. Well, it used to be, it seems, in customer services, the customer's always right. It didn't seem to be that way anymore. That the child, the best interest of the child is the default position. And again, we come into this murky area, what is the best interest of the child, that no one wants the child to be abused. But 
who, how long does it take to answer that question? Was this child being abused? Uh, we hear these stories of someone reporting a parent because they allow their child to walk to school on their own. And of course, when we hear it on the news, we don't have the context. Do they live out in the country? Are they in the middle of New York City? You know, it it would need good parental judgment of whether you let that child out on their own. And this is certainly a different time frame than when I was a child, when kids even in, grew up in, I wasn't in a great neighborhood, but we still played in the street. And now I don't think I would allow my child to play in the street. But if I did, would that be child abuse? And this, it's so murky. And there's a lot of um, philosophy of parenting involved, but we're still talking about coming in contact with the government and the legal system. After the break, I'd like you to talk about some of the things that CPS can or cannot do, and a little bit about this funding that comes through the federal government and how that works and how that works with these foster uh, care homes and uh, some of the issues with the homes. Um, So we'll talk about that after the break. For right now, as always, I just want to thank everyone for listening to America Out Loud Pulse. As you know, we are always a beat ahead. We've got our free apps on Apple and Android and Alexa, and you can hear us every weekday at 5 p.m. Eastern with an encore at 11 and on iHeartRadio at 8 a.m. the next morning. So all the, the part that I like the most is that the shows go direct to podcast in 24 hours, and the episodes are on lots in the networks, Apple, and Spotify, Pandora, TuneIn, Stitcher, and iHeart. So make it easy, bookmark americaoutloud.com forward slash pulse. And I, there's so many things I like about the show. Another thing I like about the show is that every day there's a different host. I'm on on Mondays, Tuesdays. We've got Dr. Jordan Vaughn and Dr. Stuart Tankersley. Wednesdays, we have Dr. Peter McCulloch and Malcolm Out Loud. Thursdays, we've got Dr. Peter Bregan and Ginger Ross Bregan. And on Friday, we've got Dr. Harvey Reich, the epidemiologist. So lots of folks to listen to and lots of ways to listen. And thanks again for listening. AmericaOutloud.com If you can't find it here, you can't find it anywhere. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought, working hard to earn your trust for seven incredible years and counting. America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all. You already know Genesis plus HOCL is your best defense against viruses. But did you also know it's the most powerful weapon for eliminating airborne mold too? Customers are raving about the Genesis Fogger's ability to tackle mold problems and the bad smells that go with them. And we all know mold is a hazard to your health. There's no airborne invader that Genesis can't handle. 
Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code out loud. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code out loud. So, before the break, we were talking about CPS, some of the process, and I'd like to know some of the things that CPS cannot do. What are some of the rights that the parents do have? So, in terms of what CPS can and cannot do. CPS is relatively weak without the hammer of the court. So if we're just talking about CPS, then this speaks to the debate of are CPS social workers or law enforcement? And this has been an ongoing debate for a long time, particularly about uh, should uh, families be entitled to legal counsel at the start of a CPS investigation. And CPS tends to say, well, we're social workers. It would impede the investigation. And activists uh, tend to say, well, um, look at the consequences. Look at the potential consequences. Uh, So far, the activists have been losing that battle. Uh, CPS investigators are classified as social workers rather than, or caseworkers, rather than law enforcement. So... No, they cannot enter your home without your consent. But if you repeatedly refuse, they can go to the courts and get an entry order and enter your home. Now, it might sound like a good idea to always just stonewall until they get the court order. But when they don't have the court order, you do you are in a little more control. You have no idea how much authority that court order is going to give them. Uh, And if you're refusing, it kind of assumes that you're hiding something. That doesn't mean you should be entirely transparent. But there is such thing as threading the needle. Uh, Most of what CPS does is going to be with the hammer of the court if they are taking action, or it's going to be the threat. So can they, like police, can they lie to you? You know, maybe say they have a little more evidence than they actually do. Yes, they can actually do that. Uh, there is no law against that. Uh, they, if they have a memor, what's often called a memorandum of understanding. Yes, they can speak with your child at school. Uh, the public schools uh, tend to have arrangements with CPS or CPS is allowed to do that without your consent. Uh, When it comes to uh, keep in mind that typically the government keeps a record of vaccinations. They may not have your medical record, your child's medical records, but they do have vaccinations. And we learned a lot more about this during the COVID pandemic, certainly. Uh, So 
in most cases, can CPS actually access your child's vaccination records without your consent? The answer is absolutely, because they just have to call up another government department. Uh, you won't necessarily know that, but yes, that does actually happen. Uh, in many jurisdictions, it is common practice. Uh, CPS eventually, they they can interview your children one way or another. Either they're going to do it by court order, they're going to do it by your consent. It's very rare that they actually are unable to interview the children unless they just don't have enough information to actually locate the family, uh, which does occasionally happen. Uh, not everybody calls with the right information. And it's really, you know, it, it's really unfortunate that a lot of it plays up to the fear. I, I tend to describe CPS investigations as among the most frightening experiences any parent can endure. And the reason is stakes are so high there is no way a parent is thinking clearly and sleeping well during a CPS investigation. And if they are, that should be concerning because parents tend to value, people tend to value their family relatively high on their priority list. So if there's a threat to that and there's that uncertainty and you're feeling like it's just any, uh, any other normal day and you're that clear that is worrisome because it is human to worry about something like that. Uh, and I hear a lot of people who say, well, I'm a good parent. This will never happen to me. In 2017, there was a study published in the American Journal of Public Health. What they found was at least one in three children in the U.S., will experience a CPS investigation by the, before they reach the age of 18 years. We're going to have a CPS worker, you know, providing some sort of therapy or case management or whatever, come to your home one to five days, a, you know, one to five days a week, depending on the service. And it's free to you, but they're mandated reporters in the home. And if they fail to report every little thing, well, they could lose their contract. So they're going to report every little thing. From what I can see, that will likely lead to a very high risk of perpetual CPS involvement. And So excuse me a second, I want to get this straight. So instead of taking the child, it's almost like having a visiting nurse, except a, a visiting CPS type, come to your home every day and check on you? It, Essentially, you know, essentially, yes, it could be like one to five days a week. Uh, typically, typically, there are different types of therapists, uh, you know, parenting coaches uh, that are providing a specific service. So like medical case management, functional family therapy, that kind of thing, except when it's connected to CPS and they're mandated reporters and they're in the home when they're getting paid by CPS it's very different. So they're actually, they're actually looking at every little thing. Imagine being a parent and walking around your home and thinking, oh no, if they see that there are too many dishes in the sink, then they're going to call that in as a report. Or if I let my child, you know, my child just asked me if he can go on a bike ride in the neighborhood. Well, what if he tells the prevention services worker that, you know, the functional family therapist or whatever, that he did that. And then all of a sudden, 
I'm under investigation again for a lack of supervision. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it, it's basically what that comes down to is mother government knows best and we're the real parents. You as the parent are parent as a symbol, not as, you know, you don't make the rules, we do. And yes, it sounds very doomsday, but this is the direction that CPS is actually heading in. They do expect that this will uh, increase the amount of cases uh, that they have, not decrease it. And that is a really frightening prospect is, yes, we don't want to remove kids, but all of a sudden we're looking at this, uh, you know, we're looking at the direction that they're going in and we're saying, is this really that much better? Well, is it better than some of these foster homes? Now, I don't know, again, if if I'm misinformed, but some of the foster home parents, if you want to say that way, aren't necessarily, uh, let's say, morally minded is the reason that they've taken on these kids, that some can do it for the money because they get a certain stipend for each child. Some of the homes might have too many children or incompatible children. I mean, is that just a fantasy or does that really go on? Oh, no, 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 no. It is by no means a fantasy. I didn't mean to uh, appear to downplay uh, the realities of foster care. Are there some good foster parents? Yes, but the research is very clear. They're, you know, children who enter the foster care system for an extended period of time, have a substantially higher likelihood of incarceration. They are less likely to move up in socioeconomic class. They are more likely to uh, be subject to uh, physical abuse, sexual abuse. Uh, They are at higher risk of child trafficking statistically. Uh, The research on this is pretty clear. Uh, And you had mentioned that... uh, that children in foster care uh, tend to be on uh, psychotropic medications uh, more often than those that are not. And that is very true. Uh, In 2019, there was a study published in the Journal of Managed Care and Specialty Pharmacy um, that looked at chronic uh, that looked at chronic psychotropic polypharmacy so multiple psychiatric medications and psychotherapy in foster care youth uh, compared to those on Medicaid who were not in foster care in the state of Oklahoma actually this was a contact of mine who requested this for someone who she knew in Oklahoma was dealing with CPS and they needed some data for some motion that they were uh, that they were filing. And I took a look for her as a favor. And it was interesting. What they found is increases in age, um, being overweight. Um, these things were actually associated with more psychotropic medications. Uh, among youth, uh, in particular foster youth, 
And although foster, uh, while foster youth receiving psychotherapy were less likely to be on multiple psychiatric medications, uh, non-foster youth who were receiving psychotherapy were even less likely than the foster youth to be on multiple uh, psychotropic medications. Uh, medications for ADHD were most commonly prescribed when there were three or fewer drugs and antipsychotics when there were four to five medications. And that's real data from, Oklahoma, uh, from the state of Oklahoma. And it truly is astonishing the stark differences uh, in the prescription of psychiatric medications. Granted, it is not very surprising. When you remove a child from their home and you place them in a strange place, the, par- the foster parents all of a sudden have to deal with a whole range of emotions. And sometimes the trauma and other potential pre-existing mental health issues can be too much for someone to handle. And th- typically the easiest answer, and n- while this isn't necessarily a good answer, but the easiest answer is typically, well, you know, get them a prescription for medication. Psychotherapy takes a lot of work. You know, a lot of people look at, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy and think, oh, well, you know, in these many sessions, you can actually change things. Well, when there are deeper issues, you can't necessarily use a patchwork in a few sessions and, you know, just make something so much better. So sometimes you need a more intensive therapy. Sometimes there's DBT. Sometimes you get into the more psychodynamically informed approaches as well. But that takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of patience Uh, and foster parents. They could also have CPS called on them and have to deal with an investigation. They've got their lives going on. They've got everything that they have to comply with. So there's also some high stress there. It is not an easy thing to be a foster parent. Uh, And that's assuming that the foster parent is doing it with good intentions. So unfortunately, yes. Uh, children in foster care are more likely to get drugged up on psychiatric medications than children who are not in foster care is simply because uh, of the nature of the the circumstances, the fact that they're traumatic. At the same time, it doesn't mean that where there is CPS involvement and no foster care, there is not an increase in use in multiple psychotropic medications. I typically see this more among the school staff where if mom is decided, mom and dad have basically decided for their child who has some behavioral issues, we're going to work on the psychotherapy at home. Well, the school doesn't like that because the child's not behaving. And maybe it's because, for example, there's research that says that boys and girls learn a little differently. Uh, Boys tend to need to, you know, need to, be active more. They like to uh, focus on things a little more. You know, we're making generalizations here, of course. Uh, This is more common at the extremes, but that's not to say that girls don't have an interest in that. But of course, there is a much higher rate of restlessness and uh, diagnoses of ADHD in boys. And so if a boy is particularly restless and mom says, no, I'm not putting my child on Ritalin, I'm not putting my child on Adderall, I'm not putting my child on, you know, another... ADHD medication and the school uh, then the school could say well that looks like neglect 
and report that to CPS. And that kind of thing has happened because parents don't comply with what the school wants you to do. And so you must not be, you know, uh, you must be neglecting your child because now your child can't learn. It's not that it's the school's responsibility to accommodate the child. It's, it's the parent's responsibility to drug the kid or have these specific services where they're wrong. I don't ever think it's really that black and white. Uh, I understand both sides. I don't think that CPS is the solution there, but that kind of thing does happen. Well, I tell you, you've you've brought up so many good points in this issue, and I can't believe our hour is over already. And this is kind of one more thing, and you bring it up in so many ways that the government is trying to tell us that they know best. They do know best about some things, but there's a lot of other things that parents and ourselves as individuals know best. So thanks for opening up this discussion, and I'm sure we'll have it again. And I really appreciate you coming on, Mr. Rosenthal. Can you tell people your website? Uh, It's been my pleasure. So uh, you can find out more about CPS Protect Consulting Services by visiting us at cpsprotect.com. We can also be reached by phone toll-free at 844-633-KIDS or by email if you find that more convenient at contact at cpsprotect.com. Well, thank you so much. And I'm sure somebody will unfortunately have to take you up on that. And uh, we've performed a really good service for our listeners. So again, I want to thank our listeners for always tuning in, whether it's my show or the other shows. We love having you listen. And you know we have our question feature where you can just type in a question with your email. First first names are fine. And send them to americaoutloud.com forward slash pulse. You go onto there and there's a little email box that you can fill in and we will get the question and get an answer to you. So thanks again for listening. Whether you agree or have other opinions, please share the show. And until next week, say it loud. I'm free and I'm proud.